Welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, where we delve into the depths of what it means to be a man in today's world, and we explore the real-life challenges and triumphs that you and I face every single day. My name is Hector Santi Esteban, and I come with no answers, only questions for some of the most wise, insightful, and grounded men that I know. So get settled in. You're listening to Modern Masculinity. Fellas, what's going on? I hope this episode finds you well. And I hope this episode leaves you better than when it found you. And, and I hope you are well. Man, I hope you are so great. And I hope you are, you're living your best life. Because I think that that's what we listen to these shows for. Because oftentimes we know that there is something else, something bigger, something better, perhaps. You know, I heard someone say recently that winners, they only feel like they're winning 5% of the time. Maybe even 4% of the time is what he might have said. And that most of the time, they feel like they're failing. And it's because they have such high expectations of themselves that they feel that way. And so it's kind of this prison that we put ourselves in when we try and be ambitious or create these magnificent, incredible accomplishments in our life. And we try and do these amazing things and it just ends up creating a prison for ourselves. But perhaps it's a, a castle that we're meant to build, not a prison, right? I think it, it can be that. And the difference is really in the perspective, in the use of it. One is built to keep people in and one is built to keep people out. And I think that that's, that's the same kind of thing, right? We can, we can build this prison, we can build this castle of our life. And hopefully these conversations help you to realize that that hard stone wall can have a different perspective. You know, it can look different if we are looking at it differently. Forgive me for being on my stump speech for today. I know that it's not always incredible out there for you. In fact, if you're listening to this, it's probably not. I would imagine that there's something that you feel is outside of yourself. And what I've got to continually remind myself over and over again is that those things are, are often inside of us. And so it's enough for me, enough about my wanderings. Today's about Ben Gibson. And if you haven't listened to the first episode with Ben, go back and listen to that, where we talk about doing awesome shit. And I think it's, man, what, how fitting that that, what I just talked about is, is today, is the tee up for today's conversation. Because as awesome as life can look, it is often not, not as sexy in the moment, or it doesn't always feel and look and appear as sexy. And on the first episode with Ben, we talked about his preparation and how he prepared to go to Denali and what he was doing with his family and his workouts and all these things to get prepared. And on today's episode, we talk about what happened afterwards. So it's a really incredible story. I mean, it was it's wild. <laughs> it's such a wild story, but such a fitting one for today's theme. So with that being said, y'all, I love you. And I'm humbled and honored appreciate you being a part of this journey with me and that you would give me an opportunity to have a place to even talk about these things. Let's get into today's conversation. This is Ben Gibson. Ben, welcome back to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, man. Thanks for uh, being here again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to uh, jump back in and continue the conversation. So to catch guys up, I think if you go back, I don't know. I don't really like to keep episode numbers because I think they're they're pretty vain. If I'm being totally honest, that or or for me, it just helps to not keep keep reps. I'm not, I'm that guy that like I can't count my push ups if I want to do a lot. I just got to keep going. 
So <laughs> go back and listen to the, the first episode with Ben. But we actually recorded it literally days before he was hopping on the, uh, I don't know, I mean, like a helicopter or a plane. Or a pair, <laughs> I don't know how you, how you got there, but um, we need the recap because right as you were going off, we were wishing you good luck. And, and the, the nice thing is, is that the end of the story is you're at, you're at least here. You made it. I don't know how many toes or fingers you still have or anything like that, but um what was that like, man? And just take us, you know, kind of catch us up on, on that whole journey. Yeah. It's uh yeah. First win is I'm back all 10 fingers, all 10 toes, ears in my nose. That's sort of like the ongoing mantra when you're on Denali is 10 fingers, 10 toes. Uh, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the moment to be like negotiating with your fingers and your toes of like, how many of these do I actually need or should I, should I come back with all of them? But yeah, it's always the good decision to come back with all 10 fingers, 10 toes. Um, I would say, um, I'm in, I think I'm in part two of my mental return to what I refer to as the land of the living in that when I first came back from the mountain, I was really in a funk. Like I, typically find myself in kind of a, a fog after I come back from an important climb. And I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. But this one in particular left me pretty foggy and absent um, as I was diving back into the world. And I think a lot of that is because it requires a lot of like introspective work on digesting what happened and what it means and who am I now and what do I do now? And all these really important, interesting questions to explore. And I think I've been exploring them and I'm now on part two, which is now how do I take these, these, these answers and move forward with them. Um, and so that's where I think there's a lot of, uh, really interesting benefits that come from, as we talked about in the first episode, going out and doing cool shit, uh, is that these are things that we build upon. And I think that I'm really excited to start building upon some of the things that came out of that climb. Perhaps the theme of this is like type two kind of fun, right? I, I just remember being like, I think it took you like a week to even start the journey, right? Or like maybe longer, like you were just kind of waiting to mm -hmm. like, what was that? What happened? And like, what, more, maybe more importantly, like, what, what was it like just waiting? Yeah, great question. You know, Denali is in this very remote area of Alaska that is basically only accessible by plane. Way back in the day, they used to come from the north side of the mountain. And even then, you you know, you hear about the first stories and they were using like dog sled to mush 20 miles just to get to where they could start walking. And so the standard way to get there now is to be dropped off by plane on a modified glacier, which is a part-time airstrip during the climbing season. And so, you know, you're kind of dependent upon good weather to be able to get on and to get off the mountain. So, you know, because the planes can only land when weather is good where they take off in the small town of Talkeetna, and then also weather being good all the way to where they, you know, land on this glacier, there's a lot of times where you are stuck, uh, either trying to get on or trying to get off. And so waiting to get on was nerve wracking because you're literally spending the day in one hour increments waiting for the weather to change so that you can grab your stuff very quickly and get going. So every day it was like, grab your stuff, like act as if we're going today and you go to the air airstrip and you wait and oh, weather's not good. Okay. We're going to check in in an hour. Okay. 
you know, your nervous anticipation. Okay, we got another hour and then, okay, now weather's not good yet. We're going to wait. And so you're in this constant state of like heightened anticipation, which if you're not careful, can really start to wear on you because you have yet to even begin the actual like climb and all the mental fortitude you need for that climb. And so it's hard not to be anxious on on the way in. But you also know that you're kind of living in this state of luxury and privilege because if you can't get on the mountain, that means that someone is stuck trying to get off the mountain. And I'd say if there are two places you have to decide between that you're going to be stuck at, it's always better to be stuck trying to get on because we also got to experience getting stuck trying to get off, which honest to God felt like we were stranded on a desert island, just like praying to the clouds, like hoping that we would hear the sweet sounds of airplanes coming, which when it, when it did, we, we lost our minds. Like we were being saved from the middle of the Pacific ocean and we all became, you know, amateur meteorologists in the meantime, like looking at the clouds and looking at the wind and checking the forecast and almost like willing good weather. So yeah, we got stuck for like four days on the, on the way in and then another like four days on the way out. And the way out was actually worse because we had packed up all of our stuff, our entire camp, and we were sitting on our bags with all of our stuff waiting, praying for this plane to go. And it starts to like rain on us. And the day is coming to an end where we're like, we're going to run out of time. And I was just like, oh, dude, are we going to have to seriously unpack all of our stuff and set up camp and to just go back to waiting? And it was just, it was pretty brutal mentally of, of like all the hard things you could do on a climb. Oftentimes, to like doing nothing is the hardest thing. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. Okay. So four days waiting and then like you, you finally make it on the mountain. Are you, are you amped? Are you stoked? Are you tired? I, I imagine that like that's, that wasn't the, the expectation. And, and I know for me, so much of my, my mental energy is determined by my expectations and kind of how, how much I'm gripped onto them. And if I kind of go into it with something of the much more open and, and have a, you know, <clears throat> A, a, more of an intention than an expectation, mm -hmm. then, then that seems to be a little bit better. But if I have a, a very kind of strict expectation and it tends to veer from that, well, there tends to be a lot of that emotional energy that kind of gets tied up in there. So by the time that, you know, you started, where were you at, you know, where were you at emotionally, let alone physically? Emotionally, it was absolutely exhilarating to finally be there. And, you know, I love what you mentioned around expectations because there is this need to manage expectations the entire way, because to your point, like ex expectations are often unmet, especially when you're in a pretty volatile environment, like these highly remote mountains that can change in a heartbeat. But it's pretty exhilarating even just getting to the mountain because you don't fly over the mountains to get like dropped into them. You fly through the mountains. So you're flying through these incredible ridge lines and like weaving your way along these mile wide glaciers until you finally take these grandiose sweeping turns down to the glacier. And of course, even just seeing Denali for the first time, seeing this 20,000 foot mountain clear from the clouds and come into view was quite uh quite an experience all on its own but 
you get dropped off in this place and the plane takes off and you're exhilarated because it feels like you've been dropped off on this entirely different planet, which it essentially is based on how remote it is and how disconnected it is and how from the very moment you land, your thoughts are around survival, around okay, we got to dig out tents, we got to get to work, we got to get food, we got to start melting snow for for water, we got to start getting on our program. And yet you look around as you're setting up your tent, and you're just surrounded by not only the most beautiful, indescribable, like beyond imaginable scale mountains. um, But there's also this like historical piece that I geek out on too, where I'm like, you know, you're dropped off by some of these mountains. And you're like, Oh, man, that's you know, that's the the east buttress of this mountain. And there was this amazing climb that took place there. Or, ooh, there's Mount Foraker. And there's this route where, God, that really incredible feat of human perseverance occurred there. And all these legendary climbers and climbs have been done in this area. And so, it, it's pretty incredible. But, you know, to manage expectations is really important and, and focus on intentions. And that's kind of the, that's the that's the that's the game right there is you really quickly realize that the mental aspect of this is what's going to carry me the farthest well beyond my physical capabilities because i do believe and this was reaffirmed on this trip is that you know somebody who is more mentally determined will always outdo somebody who is more physically prepared but doesn't have their mental game right because it's such a long trip too, is that you're constantly playing the mental game. You know, it's one thing if you play a sport and it's like, cool, I got to just be really on mentally for like 60 minutes. And then like we, the game's over. It's like, we live on this mountain for a month. And so there's a lot of shit that's going to go wrong. And there's a lot of expectations that I, you know, subconsciously have set that won't be met. And I'm constantly having to re-up my mental game. And so that really becomes, again, the, the, the game from day one. And, and it's hard not to have expectations because, you know, one, you know, despite you knowing that like a summit is not guaranteed and like I shouldn't focus on the summit, like I'm, I'm there to summit, right? So like my expectation is to go there and, and crush it. Why, why wouldn't it be, right? Why would I prepare for years to not go with the expectation to summit? It's hard to really like fully put that on the back burner, even though you know you have like at best at best a 50% chance or this year when we showed up we there's a little board at the ranger station that says the summit percentage at best we had about a 30% chance and so managing those expectations is important but the intention piece of it is great too because it's also such a uh you know endurance uh, it's a, such a long duration event in that just to get from the airstrip to the base of the mountain took us all day an all-day event of just dragging sleds step after step after step, hour after hour of just this hyper-methodical process. And your efficiency in that process is, again, what helps you keep energy, keep focus, keep motivation, travel efficiently. And so, if your intention is to focus instead on methodical efficiency and focus and just that part of it, then it's a much easier thing to do than it is to be like, well, I have these big expectations of every single aspect of this climb. Well, odds are they're probably not going to be met. So yeah, we get there. It's surreal, but you know, right away you get to work and you start to realize that like that this is going to be a grind and that, you know, the, that climbing this mountain is not going to be some heroic jaunt sprint up the mountain, but it's going to be about this who can grind it out the most. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like that happens a lot. And, you know, 
course, there's always the, the, the want to compare these things to things that are not really comparable. But for guys who aren't, you know, summiting these, these huge mountains, but they are going kind of through their own journey, I'd imagine that there's this, this zooming out, zooming in kind of thing where you've got this plan and you're, you're kind of running through your head what it's going to feel like and what it's going to look like and, you know, where the different stages and, you know, I, I'm so far from, I'm so naive to this world, but, you know, base camps or camp one, or, you know, I know that there's like different phases, right? Like where you, it's just not one, like you said, one sprint up, but there's different legs and, and all that parts of it. But that, okay, even if your understanding of that, you, you know, once you're in it, like there's its own journey, just getting from point A to point B, you know, let alone from A to Z, if you will. So was that, you know, was that something that you found yourself bouncing between or was it like you, you were just so in the moment of just dragging the sleds that it's like, we just got to get there. And then that's, you know, we'll figure out everything else later. Mm -hmm. There, it's a little bit of both. I'd say that there are different phases for sure. And that is often dictated by the terrain and the weather. So you are right that you basically are setting camps up and down the mountain, uh, one to ferry supplies because you're carrying like 120 pounds worth of stuff. So you got to get your stuff up and down the mountain efficiently. Um, but two, to give yourself an opportunity to um, acclimate to the altitude. And so, you know, when you're thinking about what's in front of you, oftentimes, it's just like, what's the mission of the day? And what is the terrain and the weather going to ask of me? And so that oftentimes dictates how you think about the phase mentally and how you kind of prepare for that which is really hard sometimes too, because it's the first time that I had ever been on Denali. So it's also hard to have that like comforting context of familiarity that you often have when you've done something before. Like you know how to pace yourself on a run that you've done before. You know how to pace yourself on a hike that you've done before. It's really hard to mentally and physically know how much to pace yourself when you're on entirely new terrain that is seemingly changing by the hour weather-wise. And so, you know, as an example, you know, there's certain parts of the route that are far more technical than others. Some of them are, you know, it's sustained elevation, consistent grading, dragging a heavy sled up a couple thousand feet. And that's a, a pretty simple task, right? You can just kind of mentally find your rhythm, find your step. Mental uh, is relative to the rest of the mountain, I should say. <laughs> Easy to fall into a pattern there find your step, find your rhythm, find your breath, find that like really important flow state and just kind of grind it out. And there were moments where I was on a section like that, where one, one in particular was going from what's called the, it's called the base of ski hill up to 11,000 foot camp. And I just got into such a good rhythm that I was like, literally just bouncing to music in my head. I was like bouncing to Bob Marley, just like cruising up to Nolly. It was like this really cool moment of like, cool, I found my rhythm. I'm feeling good. I've got a bunch of weight on my back, but like, man, I'm, I feel like I'm floating up this thing. And then there's other parts of the mountains that are extremely technical and require you to be focused to the entire time. And you can't really fall into that flow state because your flow state, you know, puts you into a little kind of a state of, uh, of a kind of a lack of awareness, whereas some, some things require absolute focus and intention with every single step. And so there's a section going from 14,000 foot camp up to the 16,000 foot ridge. And you're going up these, this very steep face of ice and there's fixed lines and every step requires focus because, and this is something that it's hard to describe, but you know, when you're at that altitude and you're carrying that much weight and you're going up this steep face for such a long time, like any one misstep is just draining. 
Like, God forbid you step in the snow and your the step gives out and you slide just a little bit. It just takes so much extra energy from you and it wipes you out. And you have to like catch up to just being in a state of like, okay. And so if, if that happens periodically or just enough over the course of a long day, dude, it adds up big time in the same way that efficiencies stack up. And so when you're on these fo- sections that require your, your absolute mental focus, it's not just draining physically because it's hard terrain to travel through, but mentally at the end of the day, you're just like beat. Like, oh, I like, I just want to zone out and not think about anything. But of course you get back to camp and you have like all this shit you got to do. <laughs> like you got to, you got to cook, you got to, you know, melt snow, you got to get on your, your self-care routine. Um, and so, yeah, the phases are important for kind of like helping to understand how will I physically and mentally approach this? Um, but they present their own challenges and that it is so varied. And I think that that there's this interesting thing that like, you know, climbing mountains is used metaphorically a lot. And I always was curious about like, but it's used metaphorically a lot for a reason. And like, what would I benefit? How would I benefit if I, if I did it literally instead of just like metaphorically, if I, if I literally climbed the mountain and went up the mountain and in doing so, you can't really, you, you really understand that, that the metaphor is so perfect because much in the way that we have these phases of life, these seasons of life and the, you know, specific challenges of each phase and how we navigate them physically and mentally, like they, they almost one-to-one mirror the type of thing you have to do on the mountain. And th- and that's why I think I love these things so much is it's like, okay, if I go and do this thing, literally in the mountains and go through these phases and go through these, these challenges and take these benefits back, can I apply them to my life metaphorically so that I'm met- more well prepared to navigate those phases in, in the real world? So. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, I recently took a trip to it's like the opposite of climbing a mountain. I went out into the Ozarks in Missouri and just hung out for a few days. But, but I, in a, in a similar capacity, I had a, a like an expectation of okay, here's here's what I'm going to go into it, and here's what I want to learn. You know, we were going to do some some training and some you know cold water immersion. You know, it was going to be although we did a lot of hanging out, it was there, there was some sort of you know growth and development that that was the intention. And and I guess what my question to you is like. Did that, did you go in with something like that? And did that lesson, you know, did it end up being the lesson that you, once again, that ex- expected or intended to receive or, or did that lesson kind of evolve and emerge as, as something else? Or was there not, you know, one kind of, uh, keystone lesson that, that kind of came away from the whole experience? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question and i think it really hits at like the core of why would you do these things and why do i find myself doing these things and i think the thing i learned early on in my climbing career was i had to kind of have loose intentions i would say you know i had the expectation that something empower something powerful and impactful is going to happen but i had to kind of approach it with loose intentions because there's a there's a beauty in going out and navigating in totally unknown, unchartered territories for yourself in that you can have all the intentions you want, but because there's so much unknown and because it's so new for you that you kind of have to approach them with those loose intentions. And so one thing I know for sure, and this is something I've said for a while now when it comes to my climbing is that the person that goes up the mountain is not the same person that comes down the mountain. And so intention wise, I do know that I have the intention to bring 
a different person down the mountain. Um, and, and that's something I think goes into how I think about working through a lot of the struggle and a lot of the pain and a lot of the discomfort and a lot of the boredom of, of a long climb is, is this is all part of that transformative process. And that much in the same way, I overcome resistance in weight training to improve. I met with resistance in this moment to improve and bring a different person down the mountain. And so, you know, I, I had loose intentions going up, but again, knowing that something transformative was going to happen kind of kept me focused on the silver lining of things and kept me focused on that growth perspective of this is all part of it. This is all part of the story. And another intention that I went into it with was really the idea of like choice of nobody, nobody put me here by mistake. I chose to be here. I chose to be on this mountain. I chose to be in this situation. I chose to be in this experience. This discomfort is something that I not only chose, but I was eagerly anticipating and, and looking to welcome with open arms. Um, because I think of that initial intention of it being a transformative experience. So, so, you know, I think that that, that is, you know, the, the thing that I try to focus on also coming out of it too, is I feel like there's a responsibility to, you know, if I'm going to come in with these intentions of transformation, then I feel like there's a responsibility to try to gain clarity on what changed in, in coming out. So, yeah, I would say that that is a, a, a big piece of it. Yeah, because what I've realized recently and some of the challenges that I'm going through is that if you have that intention, right, and the lack of expectation, then when when those circumstances arise, that that you're able to approach them with a better mindset or, or, or something, even just a helpful mindset, because I've seen in, in my past and I even see it in my kids sometimes that it's like, Oh, if it's hard, it's like they're helpless. And it's like that, that's, that does not, that's, those don't have to be the same, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I remember it for me early on leaning into that, like, you know, as a kid or whatever, it's just like, if, if it was hard, I would shy away from it or I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my all into it. Right. For that, that mm. fear of failure type thing. And I think that in anything, right. And especially in, in mountain climbing that those, if you have that perspective, then when those arise, you're able to, to greet them almost. Right. And, mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, approach them like a game a little bit. Was there, was there an instance for you where like, you know, was it all sunshine and rainbows? Did, did despair or like, you know, anxiety or like did, did, you know, whatever kind of negative side of, of the mental, did that ever start to creep in? And was that a part of it at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, on a almost daily basis, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's a lot of hard work. Right. And so much of it too, is also just thinking about like the flip side of choice is that I've chosen to be here do I want to continue choosing that? Like, do I still want to be here? And that's a choice, right? At any time, within reason, you can you can kind of tap and, and call it. Um, and and that's because there there's a lot of uncertainty and doubt and certainly fear. So like one day in particular was the hardest for me mentally. And that was our first day going from 14,000 feet to setting a cache, which is like leaving some gear up, or, up higher on the mountain at like 16.5. And you go up the fixed lines, which is, again, super important that you're very efficient on those fixed lines. 
Um, otherwise, you just you, by the time you get up to the ridge, you're just thrashed. And the problem with that is that you have to come back down the fixed lines. And so if you're burnt out halfway through, there's, you're in trouble. And it's also I, a little bit of fear because I had never been that high. I'd never been to 16,500 feet. And so that's, and that's you know, I think you, what you talked about with the kids is like this, and this idea of intention and these struggles in life. It's like the thing that I've learned from mountains is try to approach them with a sense of curiosity. Like the intention that I had was like, I'm going to try to approach these challenges with curiosity um, because I think it helps detach you from the situation where you're like struggling and in a lot of pain and and so this the example here is that you know we're, we're packing up all of our stuff at fourteen thousand foot camp and what had happened the day before is that a, finally a storm that was just bearing down on the upper mountain had finally subsided and so that meant that everybody up top was that was stuck could finally come down well what that meant for the park service was that they could go perform some rescues that they've been trying to perform for like a week and so we got all our stuff on. I've got my pack. I've got my you know gear ready to go. I'm mentally trying to get in the zone. I'm all roped in. And you see this rescue helicopter navigating from where we are at 14,000 feet up beyond to high camp, 17,000 feet. And you see them with a long line rescue basket, which typically means they're doing a body extraction. And so right away, you're like, okay, well, that's not positive. You hope that whatever whoever they bring off the mountain is moving, but it's probably something much worse. And so we're all starting to like make our trek up to the situation where the fixed line is. And sure enough, long line helicopter is bringing a body in a basket off the mountain. And it's just this kind of spooky realization of like, this isn't just like any other mountain, you know, certainly bad things happen on a lot of mountains, but this is the real deal. And people get in serious trouble here and people are getting in serious trouble where I am actively walking towards. And so it really kind of like shifted the mood a bit to like, this is the real deal. I've got to make sure I'm, I'm on my game. But that, that also brings in those feelings of uncertainty, right? Of like, Ugh, should I, what am I doing here? Like, should I be here? Should I be doing this? Is this absolutely insane? Am I putting myself in unnecessary risk? And so that was kind of how the day started. And then also because it was my first day up the fixed lines, I was wildly inefficient. So I was just blowing energy all over the place. And a lot of it too, is you're just in this like weird, awkward position to like navigate yourself off the fixed line. Like, like if anyone has, has ever done rock climbing where you're on belay, so you're sitting in your harness and you're like resting where you're like seated back in your harness, but your feet are on the wall and kind of like this cocked out position. That's how you climb the entire section of several thousand feet up the fixed lines is you're kind of like in this weird cocked out position and like navigating up like rock hard blue ice to go up the fixed lines. And so, get to the top of 16,000 foot ridge and my initial thoughts are, dude, I'm gassed. I'm, I'm gassed. And physical, physical uh, challenges quickly creep into the mental and you're like, oh my God, like, can I do this? Like, I'm so thrashed right now. And so, you know, I had to pause and take a breath and remind myself of that intention of curiosity of like, part of what I was curious about was how I would do on these hard sections and at this altitude. And so it required me to really pause and recenter and be like, huh, interesting. Okay. How would I approach this, approach this with curiosity? Okay. Well, my body feels horrible right now. I feel nauseous. I feel tired. I feel foggy. 
but you know, I've, I've got pretty good dexterity. You know, I'm not cold, which is always a benefit. And we're as high as we're going to go today and we're going to go down and it's going to be easier for me to go down than it is up. So, huh, interesting. Okay, great. Well, th- this is how I feel at this altitude after being wildly inefficient up this big face. So, that that's okay. I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to get down to my down to my tent. And so, you know, that was a, a day where, you know, I was starting to question whether I was able to do it, whether I should be doing it. And I think that's where much like and we have these challenges in our life, we've got to have like resources, we've got to have process, we've got to have frameworks of like, how do we how do we get out of that? How do we correct that? Because when I think about the same things with like my kids, like, one of the hardest things about being a parent is that you can't ever just like eject where you're like, wow, this is super hard. I need to go take some time for myself. I'm going to just, you know, do some self-care, take some breaths. I'm just going to detach. You guys just like make your own dinner and I'll like see you in a couple hours. It's like, no, it's hard, but like you can't leave. And that's kind of the thing about the climbing too. It's like, it's super hard, but like now I've got to go climb down and I've got to then do all the stuff I've got to do at camp. And so one thing that I came prepared with for the mental aspect of it was I had this, this list of like expressions that I would use for my own self-talk. So like I, I wrote the script for my own self-talk in advance so that I'd be ready for it. Um, I also had this like list of specific songs that I was saving for only when I needed like to get back into the mental groove of things. And then I had some people that I would try to connect with uh, via sat phone to, to kind of lean on them to, to for reassurance or for insight. And so I, and in that day, I had to use all of them. I had to go through the, all the self-talk and I wasn't really working. So I put on you know, some music and then, okay, that's a little bit better. Then when I got to camp, you know, I, I reached out to some people in my, in, in my network and was like, yo, I'm really struggling today. I need, I need help. Can you help me get my, my mental mojo back? Um, and so, yeah, I think that the fear, uncertainty, doubt is it's all part of it. Right. And that's exactly why we do it. But that doesn't mean that we can't be unprepared you know, or can't be prepared for how to navigate those things so that we actually can benefit from those things rather than let those things be the reason why we ultimately fail. Yeah. I mean, just having, having those ready to go. That's been a big thing that I'm, I'm kind of realizing that's come emerging in my life is that the, the preparation, right. It, it, it always, excuse me, I don't want to project this on you. For me, I've questioned, I've found myself questioning the value of preparation right the value of of doing the work in advance right leading up because you know in the i think it's the eisenhower matrix right it would be like the important work the the stuff that that there's no there's no time on it there's no one there's no one watching you right but the 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 working out the the eating right the getting up early right like that sort of stuff that doesn't have the immediate payoff but in these times in these instances of whether it's chaos or distress or, or whatever, right. That like, that's when the, that's when you're able to bank on those things. And it's like, damn, it's not, you know, we've got to connect the dots for ourselves. And at least that's something that I find myself leaning on and then wishing I did more, you know, wishing I prepared more or kind of, you know, seeing the repercussions of, of my lack of preparation. But, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I guess that's just where I'm at in my journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great point. I, I find myself struggling with that too. And I think that that's why these types of endeavors are important for me personally and why I always encourage people to like have something like this because it's often in these pursuits that, you know, life 
is very clearly imitated, right? And, you know, I come back to, you know, a struggle that I'm, I'm having in my own life is like the, you know, getting back on your diet and like doing that every day, eating healthy every day, right? And getting all your workouts in every day. And like some of the stuff, it feels like I'm like, well, I could skip a few days because like I'm not really seeing the long-term benefit here or it doesn't feel like I'm making traction or like what, or what's the point? Because I, I'm not, I'm not working towards something specific. You know, I come back to that, that feeling of, you know, I've got to climb several thousand feet and I'm at a point where if I misstep one step, I'm going to be blowing out energy that I, I can't afford to be blown out. And the idea too, that like, there's also a lot of little wins along the way where you kind of get into this weird mode where like, you know, and every climber, and I'm sure other sports have the same thing, but like every climber knows the feeling of a really well-placed step and just the way that your foot kind of slides into the snow and, or the way it grips into the ice or the way that it hits all the cramp on points or the way that we're able to kind of perfectly stay balanced, perched on it. Um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a little satisfaction and a little win that goes along with that. And it also helps you continue to keep the machine going, to keep your breath, keep your pace, keep your focus, stay in that flow state. And so when I think about these endeavors, I think that like sometimes we need those pursuits outside of our life to remind us that no, like that, that, that workout is important because there's that, that win, that satisfaction, that compounding effect of that workout on the broader goal. And in missing that, there's that lost energy of that misstep that we also experience. And, um, you know, it's sometimes helpful just to have like an outside resource or an outside experience to point to, to like get us back on track, right? So that if the step does blow out and we waste a bunch of energy falling down, or we miss that workout, we know how to regain ourselves and get right back on track with it. Yeah. If this ever makes it on the video, I'm just, I'm like, I'm doing the, the fuck my life, like forehead face palm thing right now, because you're just, you're speaking into my world. And, and one, one struggle that I've had recently is like getting up early and like, you know, just being up at 5am or, you know, 530 today. But, um, and, and I, I've talked like that battle goes on in my head all the time. And I'm, it's just like, no one's ever watching. No one's going to look at it. No one's going to ask me about it. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe, I, you know, some guys in our, in our dad's group might, but it's like the, those little wins that you can bank are just they're That's what you're doing. You're just banking them. Right. And you, and they, they can, you can kind of lean on them in those times of, of, of stress. And so it's just, uh, even if you're not climbing a mountain, what I'm also realizing is that without that, that specific goal, right. Without that, that, that focus. I mean, we were in a sales company that was just really good at just getting people revved up on, on like a goal and they're just getting people to, to work at, and, and put out at levels that, that they've never, you know, put out before because there was a singular focus, right. They had, they had something to work towards. And without that, you know, a lot of those same people kind of drifted and, and, you know, were kind of, mediocre even sometimes without without that um you know specific goal is, is kind of what we called it here so i think it's just another really good point that we've kind of got to find whatever that is and it may not be climbing denali but but it can be something for for each of us yeah and i think that to your point like the those those racking up wins like maybe maybe one of the reasons and i'm just kind of like reflecting on my own experience now like i think one of the reasons why it is so difficult to keep those 
little things going daily is like the the lack of definitive outcome or the lack of like tangible outcome, right? Like very rarely do you, I guess probably never do you ever like do one workout and then immediately you're like, wow, I'm so much stronger. I'm so much fitter. You know, I have that one healthy day and I'm like, why, you know, I've lost all this weight from that one healthy day. It's like never does that never does that happen, right? It's, it's only after we've done the thing for a long period of time that it becomes, you know, the benefits become visible. And if I stop to think, I'd love to color it. Like one thing that's just come emerging as you're saying this is, is like the, you know, we talked a lot about preparation on, on the first episode you were here. And so I go back and listen to that. Cause we, you know, I think that that was a great kind of, you know, masterclass on that. But I think what, what you might have some great insight on though, is like, is this maintaining like kind of when, when you're in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that, that need for efficiency or connecting the dots or, you know, the, I mean, you said you spent a month on the mountain, right? Like mm-hmm. the journey is like, is like a month. So like, you know, week two or week three, where, you know, you, you, the exhilaration of just getting started is kind of perhaps worn off and, and the, the finish line, you know, is not really in sight, you know, and it seems like you can give up, you know, so that, that ability to ring the bell is always there. Like, was that, was that, you know, you said a daily journey where there ever kind of, I guess, you, you, you know, other, other turning points in this lesson, you know, or did that, was that kind of the defining moment? Like after, you know, seeing the guy get up, you know, pulled off the mountain and the whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I think that like a lot of it, I think comes down to, for me, that it's almost this like level of faith in the process that I have faith that the universe will validate my beliefs about myself. And so it has less to do with the mountain or anything related to that, but it's that internal self-concept of I am a kind of person that does blank. And for me on the mountain, it became a point of pride and kind of like a personal affirmation of I am a kind of person that can endure any amount of physical discomfort. I can, I can, I can endure bone chilling cold. I can endure pain in my body. I can endure nausea and illness and I can endure all of it at the same time. And my faith is that if I continue to push through, the universe will validate that belief by showing me that despite all those discomforts, despite those experiences, those feelings, I still attained my goal. And so a lot of it was kind of coming back to that belief. And, and so much of your values and your beliefs are challenged in those, in those moments, right? And, and that's where I think those, those stacking of wins is important because you need all that proof to, to double down on your faith and your belief. And am I that, am I that person? Or am I now being challenged to, to, to kind of put up or shut up and I'm, I'm shutting up and I'm, I'm quitting. I'm, I'm not that person. And so overcoming a lot of the, the challenges came down to that. So we got higher up on the mountain. We're climbing again, what's called the 16,000 foot Ridge, which is this like knife edge Ridge that you have to navigate to get to 17,000 foot camp. And Getting back up on the ridge meant that we got back to 14 and then we had to go back up the fixed lines 
go past our cache, pick up the cache and get to 17,000 foot. So my hardest day ever, which was also followed by the coldest night ever, meant that I then had to go back up the fixed lines and do it all over again and then some to a higher altitude. And so part of my kind of like regaining my mental mojo was sitting in that tent going, am I the kind of person that taps right now because I don't feel good or I feel a little doubt or am I the kind of person that keeps fucking going? And I don't know if you can swear on this podcast, but this will be an expletive, an expletive issue. But that's what it came down to is almost like these moments. I think that we kind of owe ourselves to give ourselves the opportunity to experience is this like come to Jesus moment of like, am, am I who I say I am or am I not? And if I'm not, that's okay. That just means I have different work to do. But part of it, I think, is that unique opportunity to go, no, I am that person and I'm going to prove it. And I'm going to put my faith that if I do these things and I go forward, the universe will validate my beliefs. And oh, dude, once the universe validates those beliefs, you are unstoppable. And that's where I think people take these quantum leaps in their growth and whatever they're doing is when they finally do something like that. They set out a big audacious goal. They're faced with that opportunity to have to choose. Like, am I who I say I am? And then they finally have the universe put that rubber stamp of, you're that dude. You are that dude. And now it's like, wow, I was right about myself. And that means there are bigger things yet to come. And that was what that next day was. Was super efficient up the fish lines, uh, up the fixed lines. It was like a thing of beauty. I wish you could see my steps. They were effortless. They were efficient. My breath was on point. I was in a pure flow state. I felt so good getting back to 16,000 feet that I was like back in my bouncing to Bob Marley in my head on this knife edge ridge going to 17,000 foot camp, just able to stop and have a moment of gratitude rather than a moment of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So like 180 degree shift in perspective and feeling. I still felt pretty terrible as you do at 17,000 feet, but like appropriately terrible. And man, I embraced it. I was like, baby, this is what it's supposed to feel like. This is what I came here for. I am who I say I am. I can do what I say I'm going to do. And we cruised into 17,000 foot camp. And it was, you know, this very, it almost felt like we summited that day because of that moment. And there's those kind of moments all over the mountain, man. I mean, even just the next day, we, we get to 17,000 foot camp and because of the weather window, we had to set up camp. And then immediately the next morning, we were going to go for the summit. So go from 17,000 foot up to just above 20,000 feet and then come back down. And then we had to go all the way back down from there to 14,000 foot camp that same day. So I already know that like I just came through the hardest section. I've got one more big day immediately after as soon as I wake up. And then we're going to go all the way back down to 14. And so it was a full, I don't know, 48 hours of, of that. Right. And that's where I think there's these, these interesting opportunities when people go out and pursue these kinds of things is because it's not just, I got to keep my head right for 60 minutes, but man, I've got to keep my head right for several days at a time. Because here's the other thing that I think is a benefit of climbing. And some might say like unnecessarily so, but I see it as like a, again, a unique opportunity to kind of transform yourself through these experiences is that if my head is not right and I'm on some of these sections on the mountains, it's very dangerous for me to be there. There's a section coming from 17,000 foot to the summit called the Autobahn. And that's because if you were to slip and fall on the Autobahn, odds are you are not going to be able to stop yourself. There's something called self-arrest where every climber should be able to stop themselves from falling on, on just about every terrain. But there's some sections where if you fall, there's no way in hell you're stopping yourself. And so you're just going to be accelerating like you're going down the Autobahn. 
And so mentally, you've got to continue to keep your head in the right position to, to ward off the fear, uncertainty, to doubt, to push through, to get those benefits. And so, um, yeah, man, I think that that's like such a huge part of it is, is that those moments exist there. But again, I chose that. I came here for that. That's why I'm here. And that's why somebody that goes down the mountain is going to be a different human being than the one that came up there. Yeah, I think the the journey that a lot of a lot of guys can can that they're on with, through these right, and everyone kind of finds their different. You know, some guys it's tough mutters, or some guys it's marathons, or Ironmans, or you know, lifting, or you know, I guess it is lifting or climbing, whatever it is. But there's this there's this identity, like you talked about, like finding your identity or finding it or discovering it or whatever verb you want to pick. But I think that that so much of that is trying to undo, you know, our parents or society or whatever it is, right? We have to kind of find that courage to, to actually do our own, you know, what it is that we want to do. But then once, once we've, once we've figured that out and we have that level of self-awareness you talk about, which is probably the, at least for me, it gets scarier and scarier sometimes because you know that like, as you, as you go to the next level, I mean, maybe in climbing, there's only a certain, it only gets as hard as it gets, but like, it seems like the level of development, both personally and spiritually just continues to get like a little tougher and a little tougher and a little tougher because the, the universe, as you said, kind of presents these opportunities for you to, for you to stay in integrity with, with who you are, you know, what you say that you are, right. Where's that old, saying like they are who we thought they were right whatever that you know, whoever that coach was but i think that that's what the universe is doing right it's like giving us a test to say like you know okay like let's let's let and, and it requires that faith to to kind of move through that so um that was a, a rehash from my own kind of you know understanding but mm -hmm. I, I think it would help a lot of the guys so you made it like, I think, right. You got to the top, you summited. So unfortunately we did not get to summit and okay, I'll, I'll talk, talk about, about what happened. So weather was uh, historically bad this year. Weather on Denali is historically bad. Generally it has its own weather system and it's so far North kind of like where it is in the world that from an altitude perspective, it's, it's more true to the altitude you're at, but it also is relatively close to the ocean. So it pulls in like these, these crazy storms that seemingly happen in an instant. And so we had a, a one day weather window from 17,000 foot to try to summit. And we're cruising up the Autobahn, which is again, it's this extremely steep face, um, getting to what's called Denali pass, which is basically the bridge between the two summits of Denali that has, I think it may still hold the world record for like fastest wind ever recorded on earth but it's like this very heinous heinous spot on a very heinous mountain and the problem is is we're about two-thirds up the way of the autobahn and we start to feel the wind at our backs and we start to see kind of up around the corner a little bit of a lenticular cloud starting to form which when you're on a mountain the lenticular cloud is kind of the last thing that you want to see anywhere near you because it's indicative of very very volatile weather directly underneath it and so just with every step, it seemed as we're getting from the Autobahn up to turn the corner at Denali Pass, just, a, just above 18,000 foot feet, the weather is just picking up, picking up. And pretty soon we're getting hammered with snow and the wind is not even blowing in one singular direction, which is sometimes something you can kind of navigate around. It's like pulling us and pushing us and flinging us and coming up from between us and the mountain and kind of like prying you off. And we get around Denali Pass, we go up 
uh, a little ways farther to try to find some shelter. And we peek around the corner at the summit and it's completely socked in by this lenticular cloud that just looks like monstrous. And we have this really honest conversation around like, what are we going to, what are we going to do? Like we've climbed all the hard parts at this point. And so it's, it's a really difficult situation to find yourself in because you know that basically from there to the summit is some of the easiest, quote unquote, easiest climbing that you will ever do. It's still difficult. You're at altitude, but, you know, having this type of weather, especially on the summit ridge, which is highly exposed, it is a very dangerous situation to find yourself in. And so it was both the most difficult and easiest decision to make at that point to go down most difficult because I was like, man, I, I feel great. We've done all the hard parts. I, we can see where we have to go. You know, that's hard. It's hard to turn around after being on the mountain for so long, after committing to mentally like, ah, it's, it's just right there. But easiest in terms of kind of coming back what we said before, it's like a lot of this is a validation of your own values and your own beliefs. And the beliefs that I hold within myself is that I'm not going to take unnecessary risks on the mountain. I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I am making a short-sighted decision. And my values are that dad coming home to kids is far more important than any summit will ever be. And in that moment, as hard as it was to turn around and why, and it was so difficult, it was also like the decision had already been made. So we as a group, kind of look around and agree like that's crazy right yeah we're not we're not doing that okay so let's grab our stuff let's go down and then we have to basically navigate through that storm that has now descended upon us on the pass down the autobahn which is a one-way road so we're like climbing around people on fixed lines like it was just pure chaos to then like four or five hours later finally get back down to our camp a little mentally exhausted and kind of emotionally fried and physically defeated. Um, so yeah, we didn't unfortunately end up summiting, but you know, I feel really good about the style in which that we climbed the mountain, which is, I, I've learned over the time is the most important thing. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to be able to just like brute force conquer the mountain, but it's another thing to really climb it in a beautiful style, you know, do it well, do efficient, no mistakes, no unnecessary risks, being smart, but it's another thing to know that like, man, we did all the hard stuff. Sucks. But, you know, we got back down safely. Um, it was a bit chaotic, chaotic getting off the mountain entirely. And, um, you know, there's there's whole episodes we can do on just specific sections of the mountain where, you know, our, our, our stuff from the wind got came unhitched and was flying off these these cliffs down to the glacier below. And, um, yeah, the mountain didn't really want to let us go. But, yeah, long story short, despite not summiting, um, you know, it, it was everything that we were hoping for, or at least for me. And again, with those, those loose intentions coming in, knowing that somebody was going to be transformed along the way, it, it, it met my summit in, in that regards. Yeah. Well, yeah, we are, we are glad that you, dad came home. We're, we're glad that you made it home and that, uh, you know, I'm sure there will be another summit somewhere out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess you probably touched on it a little bit, but is there a, something that you you take away from the, the mountain now that you know looking back you know it's been a, a few weeks now or maybe maybe a couple months is there is there something that you hold on to from most from that experience i think it really comes back to the validation of the beliefs i hold about myself because those are beliefs that are more commonly deployed in day-to-day life than they are 
in the mountains. And I think that's the most important thing is that, you know, I validated a lot about myself that I believed, but needed the opportunity to validate because sometimes we believe things about ourselves, but there is often this like sliver of insecurity about that thing of like, yeah, I'm a hard worker. Yeah, I can push through. I can persevere. But like, can I though? And like, unless you've been tested, like you don't really know. And I think you kind of constantly have to test yourself because you kind of constantly have to go back and see what you're made of and sharpen the ax and reaffirm those beliefs. And so I think that was the, the big thing, reaffirming some beliefs I had for myself, but also giving me the confidence to know that while I validated who I believed I was in doing that, I've also given myself encouragement to go find out who else I can be. And, you know, it's just a reminder that these things are so important and it's easy to get sucked into the day-to-day monotony of life and not find ourselves being as intentional as we need. And I think sometimes that is a, is a calling that it's time to go ch- test ourselves. It's kind of time to go validate some beliefs in a, in a unique setting. And so for me, I think that that was the big takeaway coming, coming off of this. I love it. Well, y'all, this is maybe you'll be a friend of the show and, and, and come on and, and share with us regular updates on, on your, your future adventures. Uh, you've got the show we talked about last time, The Athlete Dad, where you, uh, you, you think you just finished up the first season. Um, go check that out. Is there uh, anything else you want to want to share with the guys before we wrap up? Yeah, that's really it. You know, I think that the the Athlete Dad is uh, came out of my my goals trying that I was trying to pursue for climbing. And, um, we just finished the first season. And I think if these themes, you know, really struck a chord for you around, um, you know, you having a strong belief or desire that you need to go out into the world and pursue amazing things because they, they form a big part of who you are as a human and help you grow. And if you are also of the belief that while those things are important, it's important that I balance family and it's important that I integrate family into those pursuits, uh, physical or not, then I think that the podcast is a great, uh, you know, a great place to learn from other dads who are also seeking out these answers. Um, we don't, we don't, we don't come with a lot of answers ourselves, but we do come with a lot of questions. And there have just been some incredible human beings that I feel very privileged to learn from on the podcast. And especially as we wrap the first season, we're about to start doing some kind of introspective deep dives on the biggest lessons we've learned from these incredible dads and humans. And so there's a, a lot of great stuff there. Um, you know, especially if you find yourself, uh, you know, somebody that is pursuing some physical goals or wants to be pursuing some physical goals um, while balancing dad life. So yeah, I would highly encourage you to check it out, theathletedad.com or the Athlete Dad on all major podcast platforms. I love it. Fellas, we're going to get out of here so Ben can get on to the rest of his day. We appreciate a rating and review wherever you get, get your podcasts. And we'll see you on the next one. Later, fellas. <laughs>